you would, today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. If you were to turn there, we're in a new series starting today called Fulfilled, His Promise Kept, Our Longing Met. As we walk through the story of Christmas, specifically within Matthew, uh, we're starting a series, Fulfilled, as we kind of journey and dig into the birth of Jesus as told by Matthew specifically. But uh, what's amazing is Matthew is strategically designing this section of the gospel about Jesus' birth around five passages from the Old Testament where Jesus fulfills them specifically, and it's something to show us that we'll experience how God keeps fulfilling his promises then and fills our longings of our lives right now. We live in a day and age where people uh, offer us a lot of different things. Come buy this product, join this thing, and you will, your life will be changed, Right? And there's a lot of over-promising and under-delivering. But in Christ, it's always fulfilled is what we're going to see over the next number of weeks. And as we turn our attention to our passage, I want to give you kind of a visual or a mental illustration with you. In this phrase, God blank us. If I was to put before you the, the words God, space, or blank, us, what word would you think need to be placed in the middle? Just think about that for a moment. Like, what would you put there? There's a lot of different things you could put there. God loves us. God is over us. God is in us. Like, a lot of different things could be put in that, right? On one side, it's a pretty fascinating question because on one side, you have God who is God himself, eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, you know. But on the other side, it's us, which is finite and limited and sinful and broken. And in this phrase... We see what will answer the nature of our relationship together. So think about that for a moment as I'm teaching even this morning. God blank us. What would you put there in the middle? What we put there will help us understand who God is and our relationship to God and what that actually looks like. And when we look at our passage, we're going to look at a pretty famous passage, which you'll probably know well if you've been around church for a while or you've, you've read the Bible before. And Matthew clearly understands what he thinks belongs in the middle there in God blank us. So Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22, I just want to start here. We'll come back to this in a few moments. But it says this, all this took place to fulfill... What the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, he's interpreting it for us, God with us. This is what Matthew wants to let us know about the coming of Jesus and our relationship with him, that God is with us. And it's found there in the parentheses, really, in your Bible in verse 23, that this brief little phrase, Matthew thinks that Jesus' birth means that our relationship is with God, which means God with us. Now, Matthew is translating here the name for the non-Jewish audience, and he's inviting all of us, everyone in every place, everywhere, to consider or to understand the story and the meaning of Jesus' birth, that he has come to be with us. Emmanuel, isn't that awesome? He's with us. And it says something profound about a relationship with God because of Jesus. And here in this phrase, I want you to see this. This is the main thing I want you to see. In Jesus, God comes to be with us. That's what I want you to remember this morning. In Jesus, God comes to be with us. 
Emmanuel, God with us. And this simple truth is really, at the end of the day, mind-boggling. If you just really stop and think about it, I think many times I'll come back to this. These truths, they skip right over our heads, some easier than others because we're bald, but it just goes right over our heads. Like, Emmanuel, God with us. This has pretty massive implications of how we understand God and how we actually relate to him. But how do we know this is actually true, that he is Emmanuel, God, with us? Well, Matthew points to a couple of quick uh, signs or proofs that Jesus is God with us. And I just want to show you those two today as we enter into our text together. And the first of that is he's pointing to his virgin conception. Jesus' virgin conception here in verses 18 to 20 and a little bit in verse 23 so in verse 23, just, this is what he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Okay? So then you jump back to verse 18. We see over and over again that Matthew is pointing to the immaculate conception of Jesus. That Jesus came through a virgin birth. Look what it says in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So, so Matthew is going to great lengths here to show that Jesus is born of a virgin. And he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah... And he's speaking to uh, the people to show them this reality. Now, Isaiah speaks to a lot of different things in his writings or in his speaking to concerning the judgment of God's people from God. And he also includes a lot of allusions to the coming of Messiah or the anointed one that would be the one who would come to bring ultimate redemption to the people of God or the entire world. Matthew wants us to see that the ultimate fulfillment, what I want you to see today, the fulfillment of all of, all of those prophecies... He's quoting Isaiah here to show that Jesus' birth is fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, and therefore Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us. When you look back over the, the story of Matthew, from the very beginning of Matthew, and all of his writings here, from the beginning, he's highlighting the fact that Mary was, in fact, a virgin. I mean, one of the first things he mentions to describe Jesus' mother is that she is betrothed to Joseph. Now, look, thinking about betrothing here, right? He says, before they had come together, literally, they hadn't yet consummated, keeping it PG, consummated their marriage yet, right? This is what he's saying here. Before that, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, a little bit about betrothal in the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, betrothal is a legal binding together even before the marriage ceremony. They are legally married together. The husband would leave for a period of time and go prepare a place, for the bride. And then at any moment, he could come and bring the bride, and they would have their marriage ceremony. And then upon the marriage official wedding ceremony, then they would consummate their marriage. So you can imagine Joseph's reaction here is like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Like, we have been betrothed, but we have yet consummate our marriage, and you are pregnant. He would have the same thought that any man would have or woman to have. was like, hey, I have not been with her, and she's having a child. So she's been unfaithful. So he says he's going to divorce her quietly because he has that legal right. But he says, man, not to make a mockery of her because he actually loves her. He doesn't want to shame her unnecessarily, so he's going to divorce her quietly and not be some public thing. But before he gets there, uh, an angel visits him and tells him that he should move forward with the marriage.
fruitful, and the child that is in her is from the Holy Spirit. Pretty amazing. Again, emphasizing Mary's virginity, even... We'll look there in a moment in verses 24 and 25. He emphasizes that Joseph did not yet know Mary until after Jesus' birth. Know there, from the very beginning of Scripture, still is often known as an intimacy, sexual intimacy within marriage. He's highlighting over and over again their virgin birth. Now, I just want to get into the weeds here just for a moment because I think it's necessary. When you look in Isaiah... What he's revealing here about Isaiah's prophecy, he believes that this reveals part of the greater truth of who Jesus is. So a little bit about the original prophecy within Isaiah. Just want you, we're going to get in the weeds for just one moment here, right? The original prophecy of Isaiah was that, um, was given to King Ahaz of Judah after God had challenged him to ask for a sign to confirm that God's deliverance was going to bring Judah out of, uh, or was going to deliver Judah from the threat of two kings to the north. So Ahaz protests, but Isaiah actually rebukes him and gives the prophecy of a virgin conceiving and bearing a son in Isaiah 7, 14, that would be a sign of Judah's deliverance, right? It's awesome. Now, a virgin in the original Hebrew actually refers to a young woman of meritable age. So this is what they're speaking of. Ultimately, God actually does provide exactly what he said in the immediate context. He gives them a son of Judah who delivers them from their enemies. However, as Isaiah continues to prophesy at the end of the day, we realize that there's actually a second greater son to come that will bring the greater deliverance that will come from an actual virgin birth who will be called, you'll recognize this in our Christmas passages in Isaiah, Almighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, right? This is the ultimate child that would come from a virgin birth. So God's people begin to look for the second son, a Messiah that would reign from David's throne and establish God's kingdom forever. And one of the signs of this son is that he would be born of a virgin birth, but this time actually a virgin. You see, the, the, the context actually matters because Matthew is trying to point out over and over again that Jesus is the messianic king who was born in a virgin supernaturally of the conception of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the one, the God-man, who actually fulfills this prophecy and the sign of who he is. Now, I'll, I'll say, the virgin conception of Jesus is something that's often debated or or kind of put off to the side, doesn't really matter. People often question it, um, say maybe it's not important. It's just a mythical part of the story of Jesus. For instance, a number of years ago, a very influential pastor from the west side of the state, several years ago, wrote a famous book called Blue Like Jazz. You might have read it. Or sorry, Velvet Elvis. In his book, he, he speaks of the truth like springs on a trampoline that we jump on I just want to read a quote for you. This is kind of where many people land. What if tomorrow someone digs up indefinite proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? An archaeologist find Larry's tomb and do a DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of um, mythologizing uh, the gospel. Um, the gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of Mithra and Dinosea religious cults that were hugely popular in the time of Jesus, whose gods had virgin births. But what if, as you study the origin of, origin, origin of the word virgin, you discover that the word virgin in the Gospel of Matthew actually comes from the book of Isaiah, and then you find out in the Hebrew language at the same time, the word virgin could mean several things. 
And what if you discover that in the first century, being born of a, jur- vir- a, virgi- a virgin, excuse me, also referred to a child whose mother became pregnant the first time she had intercourse? What if that spring was seriously questioned? Could a, pe- could a person keep jumping on the trampoline? Could a person still love God? Could you still be a Christian? And this is thinking that's out there all the time of, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. But at the end of the day, what's sad about this account and many others is that it misses the actual narrative account of Matthew. I mean, at the end of the day, all these questions, these hypotheticals, they never deal with the fact that Matthew goes to great lengths to speak about the fact that Mary had yet to be with her husband, not just speaking of her as a virgin, but he's pointing to the point that it was immaculate. It was unbelievable only by the Spirit of God. And why does Matthew do this? So sometimes we get into the weeds and we're like, this stuff isn't really that important. I'm not being inspired today to live for Jesus. It's important because at the end of the day, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he is not Emmanuel. If Jesus was, was not born of Mary, who had never been with another man, he's not the Messiah. It matters implicitly. It matters to, to a strong degree at the end of the day. So Matthew gives that sign. There's another sign. And the other sign is that there's the birth of a son. Now, you might say, like, that's, that's random, because of the birth of a son, there's a lot of people that birth a son. Now, I just want to get into this for a moment, because it's not just a son, it's very specific to the text. In verse 23, it says, you're born of a virgin and bear a son. Now, in verse 21, read with me down to verse 25. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And now he quotes Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Right? So it's very specific. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph spoke from, woke from the sleep, excuse me, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, even here, he wants to specifically know, and knew her not. He's pointing to great lengths to the virgin birth of Jesus. Well, the second half of Isaiah's prophetic word is a sign of arrival of Emmanuel, that she's going to bear a son, but not rev- really a reference to male child here. That's not his point. She became a son. A lot of people have a son. At the end of the day, it's to the promised son, the promised one. We see this in the words that actually are spoken to Joseph. This son is actually unique and given a specific name we know as Jesus. Do you know what Jesus is his Greek name? Do you know what in Hebrew his name is Yeshua? Yeshua which means Yahweh saves, right? God's name is Yahweh. It's four, four uh, letters in the Greek or the Hebrew alphabet, Yahweh, and Jesus in name in Hebrew is Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And so what he's saying here is a salvation. He's bringing clarity by the angel's explanation of what he's saying, for he will save his people from their sins, right? At the end of the day. This promised son, Jesus, the one that has been born, will come to bring a greater salvation than just deliverance from the the, the Roman government or Israel's enemies at the end of the day. He's coming to save humanity from its ultimate enemy, which is what? Sin. 
So he's saying the promised one will be born of a virgin and his name will be called Jesus and he will save his people from their sin. He's not saying he will save them from the Roman government. He will save them from earthly empires, any of that. Specifically, the sign is his name will be Jesus and his life's goal living here on earth is to go to the cross and save his people from their sins. This is significant. In the name of Jesus, there's another crucial aspect of the promise son here. In naming him Jesus, this is very important, Joseph signifies his adoption of Jesus as his son. And you might be like, man, why is that important? Well, it's important because if you read the very beginning of Matthew, there's a genealogy there, a genealogy that points from Jesus all the way back to David, because in David, there was a promise that David's lineage would have a son that would have it a heavenly kingdom or a kingdom that reigned forever. And in that genealogy, it shows how Joseph adopting Jesus now is found in the lineage of David and is the promised king to come rule and reign for all of time forever for the kingdom of God. Second Samuel 7, 3, to establish his throne forever. It's significant. Jesus has fulfilled all the signs and the prophecies of Isaiah, he was born of a virgin, being the promised son, Jesus, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us. And I go back to it, I want you to remember today, in Jesus, God comes to be with us. Jesus is the way in which God has come to be with us. And it's vitally important. And you might be like, well, that's great, Jim, I love that, but like, what does that have to do with anything? How is this important? I want to show you something. If you read, I'm going to read both of them. I want you to, to, to see the difference. So if you read Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 of the prophecy, and then you read Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, there's something significant there. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay? Now I'm going to read Matthew's quotation of that prophecy in verse 23. See if you see any differences. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What's the difference? You see any differences there? There's one word that's different. The word is they. It says, they will call his name Emmanuel. Who are they? You, you think about that. At the end of the day, the, the they there is the ones who will, say, who, who will be saved from their sins. Matthew is actually pointing forward to those who will trust in Christ for salvation. He is saying that they will know and experience God being with them. It's pretty amazing. Matthew is actually pointing to the fact that we in this room are that they. That we, they, will call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, because we will actually experience God being with us. Relationship being between God and us through Jesus Christ. And in between us and God is a huge gap, isn't it? I mean, you have at the end of the day, creator and created, holy and unholy, majesty and crudeness. There's a person that stands between all of that, the promised son, Jesus himself, who fills in the blank for us, God with us. And it's pretty profound. And it changes so much of our life. But my question is, is, 
do we live that way? You can get into all of the weeds and be like, yeah, that's awesome. Jesus is actually the promised son from Isaiah speaking of. He is the God-man, God himself, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died on the cross for us, rose victoriously, is at the right hand of the Father. We have the Spirit of God living in our lives. All of that is great theological verbiage and stuff we can talk about and celebrate at Christmas time. That's awesome. But I'm asking you a question today. Do you live as though God is with us? With us functioning with us, living with us. I asked you at the beginning, when you put up the phrase, God blank us, what do you put in that blank? You might have said something off the top of your head because that's what we say when the pastor asks you a question. But my question for you is it, what is there between there? Because I feel as though for many, we're living our lives filling in the blank with something else, that not, not, not God is with us, For many people, maybe in this room, you might be God abandoned us. God loves us, but yet it's kind of this far, not not intimate love that we experience. Yeah, I know, I know, I know mentally that God loves us, but really I don't know if he's with us. God's over us, yeah. God's in us, but I don't know if I'm really functioning as though God is with us. And I'll tell you, no matter where you are or who's joined us online, almost every religion or worldview comes back to the simple perspective that God has abandoned us or is not with us, and we must work to get to him. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the opposite. We were far from God, and God came to be with us. He made the way so we don't have to strive to be with him. You see, this is the gospel. What's amazing, when you think about this passage, at the end of the day, if you go all the way back to Genesis, what's profound is, if you read the garden garden narrative in Genesis, and you read how it says that Adam and Eve were in the garden, right? And it was unbelievable, it was perfect. And what does it say that God does with Adam and Eve? He walks with them in the cool of the day. Pretty amazing and profound, right? And then all of this happens because of sin. Now we're separated from God. God is no longer walking with man in the cool of the day. He's in this thing called a tabernacle, and no one can go in there. And you have, like, the the ark that goes with them and all these different rules and regulations because God is holy and he's separate from broken sinfulness. And then Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God with us. And what does he do again? He walks with man again in the cool of the day, the God-man, giving us just a taste and a picture of what our ultimate satisfaction and reality will be. And later on in life, I'll read it. In a moment, I'll just read it now. Revelation 21 and verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of place, the dwelling place of God is with Man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them as their God. You see, at the end of the day, at the beginning, God's plan was be with us. We messed all of that up because of our brokenness and sinfulness. Jesus came and gave us a picture that we could now walk with him again. And the beauty of it, every single day, you and I, we can walk with God every single day. But the spirit of God that lives in us, longing for the day that we can walk with God truly face to face again in the cool of the day. This is his ultimate goal, is that he would be with us. And we ran from it. And our brokenness and our sinfulness, but he came after us. 
rescued us. And on Christmas morning, he was born, what we celebrate at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, to be with us, to make a way to be with us. You see, this is the reality of what Matthew is sharing here. It's a big deal. Jesus really is who he says he is. And his birth happened so that he might be with us. That word with changes a lot of things. A couple of realities is it changes the story, right? I mean, I just shared a little bit of that. It means that through God, through, through, through God, he made everything perfect. And we turned it upside down our brokenness and a rebellion, but God didn't give up on his creation. Aren't you so glad God didn't give up on us? No, so he, he actually came in Jesus' name. Jesus came to redeem all of creation, bring us back, and make us new. So it changes the story. God with us. It changes our relationship. You see, Jesus brings us face to face with the reality that God wants a relationship with us. No matter who you are here today or who's joining us online, I don't know where you've been, what you've been into, or what you have done or haven't done in your lifetime. I just want to declare to you today, in the name of Jesus, God wants to be with you. You are created to have relationship with the God of the universe. And the truth of God with us is that we can be with him in Jesus' name through what Jesus has done. You see, with changes our present reality. It means that in Jesus we are never alone. We are never alone. He didn't abandon us. He didn't leave us. You see, he said in Matthew chapter 28, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In our most painful times, in our most mundane times, we can know that God is with us. And maybe someone needs to hear that today because there's painful times in your life. You feel as though God is not with you. He's forgotten you. He's abandoned you. Yeah, you sure that he's there, but like, I don't know if he's with me. Maybe this is the first holiday season without a spouse or a loved one. Whatever it may be, and it doesn't feel like God is with you. I just want to tell you today, God is with you no matter how you feel today. God is with you. He came 2,000 years ago that he might be with us, and he has yet to abandon us to this point. He is with you. He's walking with you, and it changes our eternity. It means that God's purpose and plan are still the same, to rid the world of sin and establish a new heaven and a new earth. We, as people of God, have a hope, an eternal hope of the kingdom of God and an eternal life where we enjoy God forever, face-to-face -face with him, walking with him, what we get to experience now in part and full for all of eternity. And I want you to know today that in Jesus, God comes to be with us. And it should change the way that we function and live. God fulfills his promises every time. And he's made a way to be with you and him. You to be with him. The good news of the gospel is no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, how good we are or bad we are, how much we've given or not given, we can be with God through Jesus. As we enter into the holiday season, whether you're joining us online or in this room, if you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with God through Jesus today, you can experience that. Jesus made a way that we might be with God. Not one day, 
but right now experiencing in part as the Spirit of God resides in us. Man, today, if you don't know Jesus, online, drop a note in the comment section. We'll follow up with you. In this room, man, if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with the God of the universe, right after the service, go in the prayer room. We'd love to have a conversation with you about what it means to walk with Jesus. For all of us in this room, what does it look like? Whether we know Jesus or not, those of us in the room, many of us know Christ. What does it look like for you to walk with God, to live life as though God is with us? Maybe today it doesn't feel that way. Again, we have a prayer team that would love to have a conversation with you, pray with you. As you're walking through overwhelming seasons, I want to remind you always that God is with you, he's walking with you, and he loves you. As we enter into this season, would you pray with me? God, thanks for our time together where we could open your word and see your promises in Matthew. Thank you, Lord, for all that we can have in you, that you are with us, you loved us so much, you came after us. You didn't abandon us, you didn't leave us in the state that we were in, you actually moved in powerful ways. And you didn't just leave it up to just some random thought, but you left it in the Gospels, in your writings, you preserve them to this time in your Holy Word that we might be able to see it truly that you are God, Emmanuel, God with us. May we as the people of God respond rightfully that you're with us, you're walking with us, you love us. Father God, I pray over any individual in this room or online that is walking through a season that they feel like you've abandoned them. You're not with them. You're not walking with them. You don't love them. Would you, in this moment, right now, allow them to feel your presence, to, to know that you're with them? Show them real moments this week that you're walking with them, that you love them through another believer, through circumstance. Only you can provide. And may all of us in this place walk as though you are with us. It was such a big deal to you, you sent your son to give his life on a cross that we could be together. May we live in light of that. May it change the way we function every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand your feet? We want to close out the service by singing to that end that Emmanuel... God with us, the Son of God has come, and it changes everything. Amen? Let's sing to that end.